Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Ah, John 3.16. The gospel in a nutshell. All right, say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Chances are pretty good most Christians know that one. Right? Some people know it in a modern translation, like the NRSV. Some people know it in an older one, like the King James, if you said a believeth in him. Some might know it in some other version. But no matter what version you remember it in, this is a great verse to have memorized. But here's the thing. There is so much more to it than just a bumper sticker slogan for Christianity. Typically, when we hear this verse, we interpret it something like this. God loves everyone on earth. No exceptions. All of us are treasured children of God. And God feels all warm and fuzzy inside when God thinks of us. Because God has these happy feelings for us, therefore God decided to give us a gift. His only son. That way, people who buy into the idea that Jesus is their savior won't go to hell when they die. Instead, they will get to be with God in heaven forever. So you should believe in Jesus like I do so you don't go to hell. I think that's how some people hear this verse. But there is a lot more going on. And to see the real richness of this verse, let's look at each of the four parts of it. So part one. From God so loved the world. In the Gospel of John, the word world does not mean everybody who lives on earth, no exceptions. Instead, it often means that which is actively opposed to God. For example, in John 12, 31, when Jesus is talking about his own death, he says, Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. And in 1836, when he's talking to Pilate, Jesus says, My kingdom is not from this world. In John 3.16, when we hear that God loved the world, it means that God loves even that which is opposed to God. And today there is plenty that is opposed to God. We see prejudice and despair and hatred when we watch the news or when we read social media. Or when we look in the mirror. We are sinful people who would rather do our own thing than listen to God. I mean, that's part of our honesty during this season of Lent, right? We admit that we are rebellious and broken and selfish. We admit that we often don't want to be a part of what God is doing. And yet... 
this world that actively opposes God is still loved by God. Now, as for love, when we think of love, we usually think of it as that warm, fuzzy feeling we have for somebody else. We think about people who make us smile. We think about people who cause us to have butterflies in our stomach. We think about people who make us feel safe and comfortable and happy. In other words, we often think of love as a feeling. You either have it or you don't. You're either in love or you're not. You either really like something to the point of saying you love it, or you don't. But love is not a feeling or a preference. Love is an action. Love is a decision of the will. Love is a choice. You can love people even if you don't have strong, positive feelings for them. In fact, a good test of love is if you will still reach out to them even when you don't have positive feelings for them. This is what God did for us. Think about it. If you consider how we behave in our sinful world, I don't think our behavior makes God feel all warm and fuzzy about us all the time. I mean, if you're in a relationship with somebody who is rebellious and selfish and doesn't listen to you, you probably don't feel all warm and fuzzy about them either. And yet, God still chooses to act toward us in a positive way. God still chooses that which is best for us. God still chooses to love us. That's part one. Part two. That he gave his only son. Now this part seems pretty obvious. God loves us and gave Jesus to us. But think about it for a moment here. Sometimes when we love someone, we give them a gift. And that gift is a sign that we have positive feelings for them. In other words, if somebody makes you happy, then maybe you'll buy them flowers or take them out to eat or buy them a folded piece of cardboard with somebody else's words on them. You give them this thing as a way of showing them how you feel about them. But that is not why God sent Jesus to us. God sent Jesus as the act of love itself. In fact, in the prologue of John, we're reminded that the word, which was God, became flesh and lived among us. So God loves us so much that God comes to us in Jesus. Logically, that makes no sense. Why in the world would God do that when we are so actively opposed to God? Clearly, it's not because the world makes God feel all happy all the time. 
No, God came to us in Jesus as a choice, as the very act of love to this sinful world. Or to put it a different way, it's not about feelings, either for God toward us or for us toward others. It's about actions. Right, I mean, how do the people in your life know that you love them? Sure, you might tell them, I love you, but they see it more in your actions, right? As the cliche says, actions speak louder than words. The actions you do for them are the love. That's part two. Part three, so that everyone who believes in him. Now today, when we hear that word believe, we often think it means an intellectual consent to a list of ideas. But in the Gospel of John, belief is not about that. Instead, it's about trusting Jesus. It's about being in relationship with him. It's about abiding with him, to use one of the favorite words of this gospel writer. In the Gospel of John, the noun form of the word belief is never used. Instead, it's always a verb. It's something you do. Just like how love is not a noun, but a verb too. Love is something you do. Think about the famous story near the end of this gospel about Thomas. Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in his side, I will not believe, he said. Now, the other disciples have seen the risen Christ, and Thomas wants that experience too. Thomas is not asking for courtroom evidence or for some convincing proof to make him intellectually consent to the idea of the risen Christ. No, he wants to experience the risen Christ himself, not just hear stories about him from the other disciples. Plus, shortly after that scene, the gospel writer says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing, you may have life in his name. The whole point of the Gospel of John is to encourage people to trust Jesus. It's not about intellectual consent. It's not about knowing stuff in your head. It's about being in an intimate relationship with. Think about how people can know plenty of things about you without actually knowing you. Like, they might see what you post online, but they don't really know who you are. Or they might see what clothes you wear or what car you drive. They might even see your smile but they have no idea who you really are. 
unless they're in an actual close relationship with you, then they don't really know you. We are called to actually know Jesus, not just know about Jesus. That's part three. Part four may not perish, but may have eternal life. So often we hear this part of John 3.16 as, so that you won't go to hell after you die, but will go to heaven instead. But think about what we've seen in the rest of the verse so far. All of this has been about things that are going on now. It's about a world that is currently opposed to God. It's about God who comes to us in Jesus now. It's about being in a relationship with Jesus now. So John 3.16 is not about some kind of divine life insurance after you die. Instead, it's about life and hope right now. For example, think about people you know who seem to have such a close relationship with Jesus that nothing they experience gets them down. Right? The situations that they go through could break other people. And some people might wonder how they continue to trust in Jesus with all this stuff they're going through. But for these people who are abiding with Jesus, their situations don't really seem to phase them. Yes, they don't necessarily like what's going on. It's not what they would have chosen for themselves. But they also know that Jesus will never leave them or forsake them. So they know they don't really need to worry about it. They know that Jesus is stronger than anything they face. That is what trusting Jesus really looks like. That is what not perishing really looks like. That's what having life in the name of Jesus right now really looks like. That's part four. So rather than hearing this famous verse as a statement about God having warm, fuzzy feelings for us, And then giving us a gift so we don't go to hell. Let's hear it something more like this. God knows this world. And all of us who are broken and sinful and actively opposed to God. But God chooses to love us anyway. And God does so by coming to us in Jesus. God comes deep into our broken human condition, even unto death, to show us that nothing can separate us from God's love. Not our sin, not our rebellion, and not even the grave itself. God doesn't want us to be sucked down by the sin that's around us and within us. God doesn't want this broken world to break us down. 
Instead, God calls us into an intimate, abiding relationship so that we can experience hope and joy and new life even now. God wants us to experience what truly living in the name of Jesus looks like. That's how much God loves us. That is amazing, my friends. So yes, John 3.16 really is the gospel in a nutshell. But it is so much richer and more beautiful than anything that could fit on a bumper sticker. And you know, that's definitely something to remember. So in the name of the one who is God's love for us in the flesh, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.